Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Off Court Podcast. We're a podcast that looks at the political economy, history, history, history. That's a Sean Connery tribute this week. A history and um, niche stories. Yeah, rest in peace, a real one. Um, and stories of sports. Uh, I'm Abdul. I am Aton. And uh, and yeah, this week we're going to take you on a little journey around uh, the proto Capernick. Um, so this is actually, this episode's coming at a good time. Uh, you know, as everyone knows, we record these episodes in advance, but like, um, in, in my favorite, least favorite world of like corporate fucking corporations being your, your fucking friends, hoop central made a post saying who is the most underrated player in NBA history. And mm. Velveeta replied the Velveeta Twitter account, you know, that not cheese um, that Aton can't put on his burgers. Yeah. Um, said, <laughs> Actually, because it's not cheese, you probably could. Yeah, exactly. It is. It is kosher. But I, I, yeah. I, I wasn't going to I wasn't going to step on the joke. <laughs> um, said Mahmoud Abdul Rauf and then started fucking arguing with people on Twitter about Mohammed Abdul Rauf's uh, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf's uh, statistics, his plus minus, uh, the VORP index, which is used to, you know, rate players based on win shares and a bunch of other formula stuff, like basically basketball analytics proving that Rauf is one of the goats, uh, which, by the way, I personally believe he would have been one of the goats. Um, yeah, I mean, he you had mentioned that he's a proto Kaepernick, but a lot of people have actually been dubbing him the proto uh, Steph Curry, speaking strictly on on the court numbers like um, the, the, he if there is any argument for um, this guy would dominate the modern game, which is something that uh, basketball Twitter loves to discuss. Mahmoud would is like the top of that fucking discussion. Yeah, Mahmoud is uh, legitimately one of the best three point shooters of his era. He was doing so much like before the game became like three point oriented. So basketball, when he played, was still very big man dominant. It was very built around like power forwards and centers. And now because of Steph Curry, people are t- chucking a whole lot of threes per game. And you have whole teams built around threes. The Raptors are one of them. Uh, the Rockets obviously being the most prominent example. Uh, but yeah, Ralph was ahead of his time, and we'll get into that. But yeah, so the Velveeta, the Velveeta discourse kicked off, I think, an ongoing conversation on basketball Twitter about uh, how good was Mahmoud abdul Ralph really? And as we've discussed before on the show, analytics is mostly racist trash. So yeah. looking at plus minus is like a good metric, I think, for a lot of things, but it's also a fucking terrible metric for a player legacy because it's entirely based around your relationship with other players um and who else is on the floor with you i, I mean we also i guess need to consider when examining his plus minus uh, numbers that he was on a fairly stru- middling denver nuggets team in a mostly pretty good western conference that was ruled by the utah jazz in the mid 90s um like eh, mahmoud really didn't have any supporting uh supporting cast until maybe his 94 95 season or or the time that they took the the jazz to quite a few games in the the western playoffs like he he was uh he was a victim of his teammates partially yeah 100 percent. and like he was in a system that wasn't built for him and that wouldn't be built for any player like him for years and years right like that's also worth noting he was so ahead of his time that the system like he couldn't compete in a system that was built around big men either although he was still very fucking good right uh and we're gonna go into his history a little bit here because i think it's important to discuss mahmoud abdul ralph and colin kaepernick and carlos delgado and any other player who refuses to stand for the anthem or the patriotism song uh basically in the context because people the first thing people love to say is like oh mahmoud abdul ralph sucked he wasn't that good kaepernick was a terrible quarterback, right? Like people yeah. love to just erase uh, their skill to like justify like cutting them and shit like that. And I guess they rosters. forget about they forget about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the process as well. Um, but I guess yeah, <laughs> selective selective thinking. Yeah, they just conveniently leave out any like politically active players that uh, that also happen to be great, right? So yeah, at, uh, Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf was born Chris Wayne Jackson 
He was born in poverty in Gulfport, Mississippi. Um, and he played uh, three seasons at Gulfport High School where he was like a basketball prodigy. So like he was a point guard. He like I think he has the all-time assists record at uh, Gulfport High School. Um, he guided the Gulfport Admirals into two state championships and was Mississippi's high school player of the year, which is actually not a small feat. And in high school, he scored 30 points a game and six assists Damn. is what he averaged. And he was, yeah, like, he. I love that, by the way. I love that there's a, a qualifier called the Dapper Dan All-American. Like, I, <laughs> isn't that, isn't was, that, the, isn't that the, the hair product from uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Or it absolutely is. But there are uh, there are national rankings of players, and he was both a McDonald's parade and Dapper Dan first-team All-American player. Jeez. And also, uh, I'm just looking at the Mississippi Player of the Year uh, list, and you are right. He's he's in really big company. We got Al Jefferson, Devin Booker, and uh, Rodney Hood. So, yeah, we got some real basketball players on this list. Oh, hell yeah. In terms and of like, the recent list. Even just in terms of the South in general, he's 100% one of the, one of the big players to come out of that to come out of the American South. He's also, Devin Booker is also on that list, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it's Which wild. I did not know. He didn't uh, go far from home to go to college. He went to uh, Louisiana State University, LSU. He played two seasons in Bat- Baton Rouge. And uh, yeah, he fucking ran shit there too. He was SEC Player of the Year and also first team All-American two years in a row there. Uh, he also set the NCAA freshman scoring record uh, by averaging 30.2 points a game. And uh, there's a lot of discussion about this, but they're probably the two best seasons anyone's put up in college basketball history. Uh, like 30-point average, 50-point uh, nights. Uh, people compared him a lot to a player called Pistol Pete Maravich, who was like, again, like uh, the proto, proto, proto Steph Curry, who was just automatic, like had an automatic jumper and could shoot from range, right? So it's important to note... Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, who are two current players for the Golden State Warriors, the Splash Brothers, have basically monopolized all the three-point scoring records in history. Like, they're just the best three-point shooters, uh, without question, in basketball history. And they revolutionized the league, right? Steph Curry, maybe the greatest point guard of all time. Yeah, I mean, they basically changed the way the past uh, decade of basketball has been played, um, which is why there's always these conversations of which players... Um, like there was a recent conversation about Chris Bosh or Adriano Barnani on the Toronto Raptors, how they would fare in this in this shooting heavy, non big man favoring league. I guess it, we should also note that Pistol Pete is proto 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 Steph Curry, Steph Curry because he played at a time when like your dentist could have also been on the Boston Celtics. Uh, uh, oh yeah, <laughs> still 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 impressive, especially when when there was no fucking three point line basically, but just has to be noted. And uh, and not only that, he also played with Shaq, by the way. He played a season with Shaq before he uh, went pro. Um, and cool. for what it's... Yeah, it's awesome. But but Shaq... Uh, when Shaq complains about his lack of touches and like lack of people passing the ball to him early on in his career, he's complaining about Mah- uh, Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf, uh, which I think is very funny. But Shaq did say that, that Rauf was undoubtedly the best player to ever play at LSU. He did this more recently, obviously, because Shaq was a fucking douchebag yeah uh before he's new like you know big happy you know obese funny basketball man persona we're, we're gonna see a lot of this like uh re- revisionist history from uh from basketball greats as we go later into mahmoud's uh career of course and especially with recent events in the nba that have been mirroring a lot of what mahmoud had to fucking go through in the early 90s when david stern ran fucking david stern and Sha- and shaq could cozy up together and fucking oppress mahmoud uh with hand- hands tied you know Former NBA commissioner David Stern, who is a miraculous piece of shit, who's been rehabilitated, much like the NBA, actually, as we'll see. The NBA has rehabilitated itself into the League of Social Justice more than any other sports league, and it's uh, pretty extraordinary what they did to this fucking guy who could have been, legitimately could have been one of the greatest players of all time. So, yeah, he's uh, in a second-year university. He contacted an attorney, said he wanted to go pro, and... He did. He was the third overall pick in the 1990 NBA draft. He was drafted by the Denver Nuggets. His first two seasons were pretty trash, not gonna lie. He 
he did not do very well. He was, uh, you know, on his way to being a draft bust. Lots of people in Denver were pissed. Um, but then he, in 93, he just blew up. Uh, he like started averaging 20 points a game, despite the fact that he was still coming off the fucking bench at that point. He was named most improved player. And in 1995, he ended up recording the second highest NBA free throw percentage ever at 95.6%. And he actually, he was 12 free throws short of qualifying for the highest ever, by the way. Um, Damn. In the year where he hit, I think, like something like 96 or 97% of his free throws. And this is an old time potential? Yeah. Like that's that would have been the highest free throw percentage ever, but you need to hit a certain number of free throws to get to that point. And he was twelve free throws short. He just mm. didn't draw enough fouls for that to hit. I wonder. I wonder why uh, if his career got uh, cut off short, short for some uh, controversial reason. I, I'm just. I, I I hope I'm not spoiling anything as I try to pretend that I don't know what the story is of, of Mahmoud. <laughs> Yeah, like this this was a guy who had like a keen interest in the world and you know at the same time he was getting better as a player. Um he uh he started reading Malcolm X and man, he got really into Malcolm X. Uh he got so fucking into Malcolm X. This dude can quote the basically the like a majority of Malcolm X speeches from memory if you read any account of him. He basically he did from what I understand, he did activism in the NBA before it was cool or like just was a, you know, was a thinker, a social thinker in the NBA when like most of the fucking most of your teammates would be crushing beers like after the game or I guess also during the game at halftime and, <laughs> and talking about fucking like all the uh, going to Vegas that night and then coming back to Denver. Probably he was quoting Malcolm X and like showing up at uh, improvised improvised neighborhoods to teach them about the ways of Islam. It's it's quite interesting. Yeah, he's he's definitely the least fun guy at parties, but <laughs> also like probably one of the more interesting ones. Like he he converted to Islam in 1991, and not nation of nation of Islam, Islam. Like he converted to Sunni Islam. He changed his name to Mahmoud Abdul Rauf, and he also purchased a rundown crack house and built turned it into a mosque. Yeah, that's that's so fucking sick. I, I, but not to diminish his conversion, by the way, but did I get this right from the article that you had sent me about him that he had decided on his name by combining the two uh, Muslim thing, Muslim priests that he was uh, speaking to about yes, his conversion? Yes, I, I literally have this as an anecdote. It's okay, so sorry. fucking funny. No, it's okay. Like, it's so fucking I, funny. That just stuck out to me because it's the equivalent of like when you have to come up with a fake name and you're just naming like items around your room. Like, oh, I'm Mr. Table Lamp. Mr. Uh, Mr. Table Dildo, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> Mr. Table Beads. <laughs> um, yeah. Shit. He consulted two imams and one of them says he should be named Mahmoud and the other says he should be named Ab Abdul Rauf. And he's like, and he was like, uh, okay, sounds good. And he just picked both. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like, yeah, like he, he was laughed at a lot when this happened. You know, his uh, teammates and his colleagues were basically like, you know, they just wanted the boy. He, he says, quote here, they just wanted the boy to dribble the damn ball. Don't open your mouth. Just dribble that ball. Don't question anyone. Just dribble the ball. And at the same time, this all happened. Like he was also like losing he lost 30 pounds because he was a little out of shape he hit the courts for nine hours a day and came back to the nba and yeah came back to 19 points a game winning the most improved player award and then the next year he led the nuggets again in scoring which is again fucking tight like the, that sort of jump is miraculous in any league uh, it's especially miraculous if you're also fasting yeah seriously if you're fasting and you have to fucking lose weight at the same like did he have to do this weight this weight uh when is ramadan again i'm sorry i'm just gonna reveal it's two how weeks or, it's two weeks earlier every year because it follows lunar cycles right so yeah i'd be curious if if uh ramadan was during the off season or during the the season at that point which we we should commend him for for being able to to practice uh, specifically Islam while being a fucking athlete. So he cut he cut weight in general to begin with, but mm -hmm. then he he was fasting during the season. 
I see. Um, and dropped from 162 to 147 pounds. And his, uh, you know, people in Denver, Denver sports media called him selfish for doing this. Oh, Hakeem Olajuwon's also Muslim and fasted, but uh, escaped scrutiny. Because if there's one thing you could say about Mahmoud abdul Rauf, he is extremely eccentric. I think that that is actually quite fair to say. Like, he, um, he covered up the logos on his shoes with tape. Because his Nike deal wasn't renewed and he felt his religious stance explained why. So he started hiding the logos on his shoes and fans started roasting him for that. And then every time the Denver Nuggets were on the road, he would just tour the inner city of like any town they visited. Going from like neighborhood to neighborhood to speak to men who had like issues with like mass incarceration, uh, drugs in their communities, Mm. fatherhood. Like he he tried doing the Malcolm X thing, right? And it it started also which is worth mentioning because of his college coach Dale Brown's the one who gave him the autobiography of Malcolm X, and uh, and like he started trying to like live the Malcolm X lifestyle. I think in like a really intense way, right? That all on its own is pretty awesome. And like again, if he did this in the modern NBA. Can you imagine the kind of clout the NBA would get off of him? Like the NBA cares charity program, the social justice messaging, all this stuff would be considered like a great opportunity for the NBA to market to market itself. Right. From what I understand, though, there are Muslim players in the NBA right now. It's just like it's kind of just chill and they are uh, like lauded by their communities. But we've kind of like like we, we've almost gone so, pa- so past that point of this being in any way controversial in the NBA that you can just come from a Muslim background or any kind of background and be in the NBA. Yeah. Oh. And it's like, and his like stance of like going to like inner city communities and stuff like that. Like now they'd send a fucking camera crew with him. Well, right. That, that That's what's kind of funny about it. Right. Is that back then, but nowadays it would be an endorsement or some kind of sponsorship opportunity that the NBA was putting on like the NBA cares program, which I don't know if, that existed or was doing the amount of fucking philanthropy that it is doing now. Like just like any corporation has a fucking, you know, fundraising unit to, to uh, boost its public image. The NBA does that now does have that too. And completely missed an opportunity to use, use Mahmoud for their fucking uh, image uh, fixing. uh, Sorry, notions. Yeah. And like NBA cares uh, started in the two thousands. It didn't exist uh, in this way during the nineties. There you go. And the award, by the way, is dedicated to, it started in 2001 is dedicated to David Robinson who did do a lot of great things. Uh, Famously, um, you know, famous players who have received it. Pau Gasol, Dwayne Wade, Kevin Love, Dwayne Wade has won it multiple times. I I didn't know Dwayne Wade. That's such a giving guy. They did not give it to Mark Gasol for his, uh, for that summer, Marcus Ol took to refu- to rescue refugees off right. the coast of Italy and he, Spain, he, though. He physically went to fuck <laughs> on a boat to help these people, and that wasn't enough for him to get the award, I guess. What did Pau do that got the award? I wonder if that's a topic know. of conversation at the Gasol family, actually. I wonder I wonder that, too, actually, because, like, oh, he has the Gasol Foundation with his brother Mark to promote community health and healthy living habits. But mm. famous Toronto Raptor and Memphis Grizzly, uh, my favorite player in the league. Uh, I don't know how much longer he's going to be in the league. Mark Gasol just decided to take one summer in a boat just pulling refugees out of the ocean. Could you imagine if you were, like, a, a Grizzlies fan from Syria, like, <laughs> escaping escaping the country, and you're just, like, on a life raft thinking you're going to drown, and oh my God. Marc Gasol shows up and pulls you out of the water? Like, wow, I didn't know how this journey was going to go, but the defensive player of the year just fucking saved me as I try to escape, <laughs> as I try to escape war. He really is the defensive player of the, of the fucking yeah, decade. I love it. Two-time FIBA world champion Marc Gasol pulled me out of the water um, honestly that that fucking rules i don't know why the raptors don't bank on that more with how many syrian refugees are coming into the country <laughs> yeah, exactly. like that would be a great way to just build a whole new element of the raptors fan base right yeah there's probably a percentage of the refugees now that the uh the office of the uh immigration offices are opening up again after the covid uh backlog um, I bet two percent of those refugees have been uh, touched by Marcus all yes <laughs> I, I like that I claim would, I would fucking kill to be touched by Marcus Ol. Um I and... will become a refugee to to be touched by Mar- uh, sorry, this is this is the wrong podcast. I apologize. No, it's okay. Yeah, I'm gonna go to Syria and get on a raft. Uh in the hopes that Mark but only when I find out that Marcus Ol is doing his thing again. <laughs> now that he's like looks like he's like heading towards retirement. 
So this was at the beginning of the 1995-1996 season. Uh, Mahmoud Abdul Rauf decided he would not stand and salute the United States flag during the national anthem before games. But he didn't also want this to be public. The dude's also a very private person. Um, we have emailed him to ask if he'd be willing to be interviewed for this show, and it's definitely a crapshoot as to yes or no on that. But I'm, I am Muslim, so there might be some clout there. <laughs> but yeah, like, basically, he would just stand and stretch uh, in the hallway or in the tunnel before games. Like, he wouldn't go out with the team, and they just, in the chaos after the anthem, as everyone's getting ready, like, he would just run out onto the floor, right? Like, that was his thing. He wouldn't make a big deal about it and stuff like that. And then finally, he was outed by a, of course, talk radio. He was outed by talk radio who um, made a small like blurb out of it. And they were really shitty about it. And uh, the next day, this small like line ended up meaning the Nuggets were getting like three to four times the media requests. They usually do almost all about him. I mean, I guess I guess this really does uh exemplify the parasitic nature of fucking sports talk radio especially in the 90s and continues till this day but i think it also kind of should exemplify to people like denver is a historically and colorado is a historically democratic state and we should just remember that democratic states can have be a patchwork of fucking progressivism and fucking backwards mountain people in the case of of denver you know what i mean yeah. like but they were the first state to legalize weed obviously they fucking stamped out racism right yeah you can't you can't be like white smoke weed and not think that and not uh support black lives matter like it just doesn't make sense you can be white smoke weed and say the n-word we do exist right (laughs) which is fucking uh the denver thing this basically blew up and commissioner david stern passed down a one game suspension to him for his refusal to stand and then they started fining him (laughs) thirty one thousand seven hundred and seven dollars every time he would not stand for the anthem i also want to point out this was before average salaries started creeping into like the tens of millions so it wasn't an insignificant chunk of his 2.6 million dollar salary like multiply 30 you know whatever multiply thirty one thousand by 82 right and that's before the playoffs um and you'll see how much money he was losing per game uh just by refusing to stand for the anthem and uh yeah, like basically past the suspension, past the fining, they said that he had to obey a league rule that states players, coaches, and trainers are to stand and line up in a dignified posture during the playing of the American or Canadian national anthem. So yeah, like you can see now, the NBA's stance on players not standing has softened quite aggressively. And eventually they they compromised and allowed him to close his eyes, look downward, and say a prayer in arabic to himself but like the damage had basically been done denver (laughs) denver traded him uh in the summertime to in his prime by the way 27 year old mahmoud abdul ralph was traded to the kings for sarunas marshalonis who retired after that season was over and is a player i've genuinely never heard of up until this moment yeah me too (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then he he went from a starter to did not play coach's decisions and injuries that may or may not have existed and then he went to the vancouver grizzlies where he did not really play and this career was over he played in saudi arabia japan turkey and is now currently in the nba's retirement home the big three which is ice t's uh sports league of... ice, ice cube ice cube, ice cube I, I... sorry sorry <laughs> my bad a, a different black israelite <laughs> yeah. yeah he's now in an ice cubes uh sports league playing with other and, over 40 players and he's, he's won multiple championships already he's won two i believe uh, if somebody if i'm not sure if that i know he's won one for a fact and he he led uh, the league in scoring so um just basically this man like could uh, you it just proves that this man could probably play in the fucking uh current nba because he is in his goddamn 40s as he's doing this he's actually him and i guess katino mobley are the like the the honorary fucking like uh silver foxes of the big three with their with their uh with their pepper with their white pe- their salt and pepper beards it's it's a sight to see he's a very handsome guy <laughs> yeah he's fucking um, gorgeous yeah i hope um, he, i hope this doesn't make him not want to go on the interview I, I hope you hear this play i hope he hears this bro <laughs> yeah like and he uh he in 2001 um a fire destroyed his house uh he was building like he was building a house slash mosque slash place where he could just like sort of live 
off the land and like mm-hmm. in a Muslim way with his own like pastures and stuff like that. There was a, a KKK vandalism of his home multiple times and then finally it just burned down. So then he moved to Georgia away from Mississippi. And yeah, he said, I said before I moved in, it would be burned down. I uh, said, Abdul Rauf, this is not just an indication, I think, of how far we've got to go in terms of human relations in this country. Notably, Abdul Rauf was one of the teams, along with actually, funnily enough, the, the first year Toronto Raptors that mm. destroyed Michael Jordan's uh, 72 win Bulls. And uh, he also scored 51 points on John Stockton and famous pederast Carl Malone. Yeah, I mean, the <laughs> fact that the fucking NBA let Carl Malone, uh, you know, just like have a Lolita fucking fantasy throughout his entire NBA career and they pushed out Mahmoud Abdulrov just just says it all right there. Yeah, it is actually unbelievably batshit. It is horrific. And like, it, it sucks too, because like, John Stockton is also one of my favorite players of all time, mm-hmm. uh, along with Abdul Rauf and like, you know, uh, Marcus Ohl and I, I only like white players. I'm sorry. <laughs> and Kyle Lowry. Right. But yeah, like it just sucks that Stockton is forever going to be in the same name as Carl Malone. Like it's you can't separate the two. It's Stockton and Malone. Right. It's always going to be that way. Which is funny, actually. Didn't 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 uh, some of the players that uh, Mahmoud played with. uh one of them was quoted to say that I wish he was a nice white Baptist boy um, mm-hmm. inst- instead of this. I mean, John Stockton is like the fucking he's the is the anti Mahmoud Abdul Rauf when you really think about it. And just everything he repre- represented with the 90s Utah Jazz. Yeah, absolutely. And so with that, we're going to take a break and then get into sort of the deeper parts of this. And we are back from ad break. So I'm just going to run through you a, uh, a couple of chief uh, Ralph quotes. Uh, by the way, he also did an interview with HBO that was really the thing that destroyed his career because he spoke quite frankly where he said, you know, I'm able to make a lot of money in the U.S. I'm from here and I'm not saying again that represents everything bad. I never said that. I'm just saying that also represents the bad, <laughs> which is good. Uh, you know, he says, I just don't look at the United States. I just don't look at the Muslim issue. I look at the Caucasian American. I look at the African American being oppressed in this country, and I don't stand for that. He also called the American flag a symbol of oppression and tyranny. Uh, he did this one after 9-11, the fucking legend. Uh, yeah, so he's basically like Malcolm X has possessed Mahmoud Abdul Rauf and is speaking is speaking through him to us. I, I do, uh, and he, I'm pretty sure he also called is he mentions Israel is uh, a symbol of this uh, oppression and the United States support of uh, Israel's uh, Israel's occupation. So I, I am wondering how David Stern felt about that uh, out of everything he said. Probably not. Probably not happy with that statement. Yeah, David Stern was a Zionist, and like he was not. He was not big on Muslim players, I think, to begin with. Like Kareem, another one of, you know, my favorite players, maybe the greatest player of all time, right? I'm sure that caused some consternation with Stern. Uh, Because Stern, he wasn't commissioner at that time, but, like, he definitely was in the league, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, you know, this is all very, like, history. Time is a flat circle because prominently, like, Colin Kaepernick changed the conversation at a time when it was just the perfect time for that conversation to happen. But like, he really is following the footsteps of players like uh, Mahmoud abdul Rauf and Carlos Delgado, who we'll get to in a second, right? Um, you know, when Kaepernick sat out the anthem, Rauf was quoted to say, you know, it's priceless knowing that I can go to sleep, knowing that I stood to my principles, whether I go broke, whether they take my life, whatever it is. Uh, to me, I stood on principles, and to me, that's worth more than wealth, wealth and fame. And the two did meet briefly, like they were not in contact before Kaepernick took his stance, but like they have chatted um, at times, right? Which I think is like the legacy thing is super important to recognize in this case, right? I mean, I'm assuming Colin Kaepernick told Mahmoud or Mahmoud told Colin Kaepernick that these fucking ghouls were going to act like ghouls to you no matter what. So either fucking, you know, be quiet while you continue to be oppressed or say this because as we'll see, like radio, radio, we'll see the people who don't agree with you will continue to voice their opinions no matter what. And the importance of all these athletes that we're speaking, that we're talking about is just the fact that they did it in the face of, of, of tyranny that was going to come at them no matter what. I think that's an important part of this discussion. Yeah. And he, he articulates this in the context of like, you know, a lot of times people will ask like, well, are sports just bread and circuses? And like, of course they're not because sports do matter, right? They are political linchpin for american capitalism and you know ralph said yeah it's good to draw people's attention to what's going on whether you're an athlete a politician or a garbage man 
these discussions are necessary. Sometimes it takes people of stature, athletes and entertainers, because youth are drawn to them more than teachers and professors, unfortunately, right? And he said, like, now, he said, you know, I don't feel like much has changed, if anything at all. Black people are still being victimized disproportionately in the penal institution. It seems like they're disproportionately being killed and shot by policemen. Just the overall position we are confronted with, look at what Muslims are going through in this nation. I don't think anything has changed since my not standing for the anthem by and large, right? So he he was ahead of the curve in a time also like in 90s neoliberalism where everyone thought everything was perfect and we reached the fucking end of history, right? Like he had really scratched an itch that was bubbling but not fully developed yet, right? I mean, just being an anti-Zionist during, Cl- during Clinton's America is not really something that that people would bring up. And people do also need to remember that like his protest was sandwiched between 9-11 and the original World Trade Center bombings. Like it was just like not cool in America to not be patriotic. And that the thesis that we're basically coming with, which is that like sports, there's the national anthem during sports games. We do military exercises during sports games. Why like why is uh, muting any other kind of political thought in sports an issue that just wasn't even a conversation in the 90s. Yeah, and it, it was like sports was just another way like to be patriotic. Like at that point, it really was bread and circuses. If people didn't realize it, right? Like the big controversy, political controversy of that era in basketball was Michael Jordan saying Republicans buy sneakers too. Like, you know, it's, it's fucking kid shit at this point, right? Yeah, uh, it's, it's a fuck. It's a fucking 30s spectacle, right? Of fucking uh, like like uh drink girls like fucking uh bringing their legs up and down uh at the same time yeah the rockettes basically yeah exactly sorry i I apologize (laughs) no no that's good it's true actually the rockettes was like it is basically that right um it's it's a military exercise like disguised as ballet in this weird way and he did say to Kaepernick, uh, I said from the beginning that I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't get another job with all the death threats and assassinations of his character. It mirrors what I went through. This is just the way things are. And he then he goes on to quote Noam Chomsky um, and, and talked about Edgar Hoover's relationship to Muhammad Ali. His love of Chomsky, by the way, is not dissimilar from another person destroyed by like this like militaristic nationalism apparatus like Pat Tillman. Mm. who was a uh, uh, you know big reader of Chomsky and, and quite radical in his own way and was killed by friendly well, people say he was killed by friendly fire i think his own guys just fucking shot him but that's just you know my personal thought not an actual thing that happened allegedly but like pat tillman who was uh you know sort of an anti-war soldier who was also by the way a pro football player who's a very famous pro football player and a very fucking good one right who's now name is currently invoked repeatedly as like this guy gave up football to be a fucking troop right and serve his country and it's like this is a country that killed him and a country that he very quickly as a troop realized wasn't worth saving he kind of represents he distills everything that mahmoud abdul raouf is trying to say about america and its industrial military complex yeah and like honestly at some point we should actually do a pat tillman episode because like his his whole world and there's a great book i'm going to recommend to anyone listening to this called where men win glory by john krakauer about Pat Tillman that talks about him in the context of like Francis Fukuyama's uh, end of history shit, right? Mm. Very, very fucking good. Yeah, like the night they suspended Ralph, Ralph mentioned that Dale Ellis did exactly what Ralph did. Uh, and even Dikembe Mutombo was like, yo, dog, he's been doing this for months and he hasn't been bothering anybody. Like, why do you make a big deal out of it, right? And, and, and just if you know what Dikembe <laughs> Mutombo sounds like, just imagine him saying that in his voice. It's very soothing. Actually. It's extremely chill. And like, you know, he, he goes on to mention there's other there's other players basically that didn't stand for the anthem or, or found other ways of like protests that were also blackballed from the NBA. Craig Hodges, uh, who played with the Bulls, uh, found himself, which they avoided in the Michael ja- uh, Jordan documentary. Let's say Michael Jackson. Holy shit. <laughs> they found, oh, that's a weird yeah, Freudian no, slip. That's that one's only Carl Malone's in that documentary. Yeah, exactly. Oh, but, ouch. <laughs> Um, ouch towards michael jackson let's not talk about that (laughs) craig hodges found himself blackballed from the nba after protesting the gulf war and uh and boycotting a visit to george bush's white house (laughs) and then uh carlos delgado too carlos delgado who would keep standing for the fucking anthem 
decided not to stand for the seventh inning stretch uh, singing of God Bless America, which is the most insane thing that happens in baseball, by the way. Um, and he said, like, you know, I never stay outside for God Bless America. I actually don't think people have noticed it. I don't think it's I don't stand because I don't believe it's right. You know what I mean? Like, and Delgado also got bounced around a lot because of that and ended up uh, ended up, you know, having to compromise and do it because people got so fucking shitty about this, right? These days, we are completely bombarded with video content, whether it's a series, movies, or documentaries about, I don't know, Carol Baskin and the Tiger King. That's the best documentary there is, right, guys? Screenworthy tries to cut through all this noise and talk about what it all means from a cultural standpoint and how it affects the future of filmmaking. Hosts Kyle Bodanis and the smart alecky Mind Refinery creative team talk to content creators and filmmakers about the state of the industry while diving deep into noteworthy projects that arrive on your screen. Screenworthy drops every other Tuesday on the Mind Refinery podcast channel, wherever you get your podcasts. So there's a couple of things here that I found in my reading that I think are definitely worth going into. It's funny because we just recorded an episode of DCJ about this, but like this is very worthwhile in this context which is consent politics. He intended this to be extremely private and personal. He never intended to publicize this. He never intended it to be a big deal, right? And it's like, these guys just fucking outed him for no reason. They didn't check in about it. He didn't intend it to be a public statement. He intended it to be a very personal and private one. And these guys just fucking threw him under the bus, right? And then those same, those same radio hosts, by the way, uh, went into a mosque and played the Star Spangled Banner during prayers on a fucking bugle um and just like disrupted the fucking mosque so you're telling me like proto proud boys fucking outed him basically yeah it's basically just like, it's so poetic that the fucking capitalist american structure that fucking mahmoud abdul Rauf is trying to fucking criticize about ended up outing him and making him turn his fucking own decision into like a public a pr fucking stunt a pr yeah. circus Absolutely. And then something someone brought up uh, in my reading, which I think is a fucking incredible observation. His outing was coincided with the announcement that Timothy McVeigh would be tried for the Oklahoma City bombing in uh, Denver. And a few journalists made the connection. Right. So there's this this writer is positing basically that that this national controversy around Muhammad Abdul Rauf has to do with the fact that like a white guy ended up being tried for the Oklahoma city bombing and they couldn't do the typical like Islamophobic bullshit. Right. You couldn't throw Muslims under the bus. You have this like very specific, uh, like articulation disappointment for a majority of white America of like, ah, damn, a white dude did this horrific terrorist act and ended up like the Ralph thing ended up being in a, a different way. You could scapegoat Muslims and like turn the conversation away from like America confronting its own, like, insanity around like you know white terrorism and just and just being being horny sort of in a weird way for the consequences of the world trade center terrorist attack like it's this weird it just it's the exact same thing that america has done since 9 11 in terms of just like not only inspiring its own interventionist efforts but also uh, inward inward implosion on its fucking own people and and yeah tearing people apart and uh, america fails itself Right? Yeah, pros- prosecuting its own fucking citizens just because they're mo- Muslims. In the yeah, exactly. Terms. And this was before the fucking Patriot Act, even. This was before, like, we got fucking um, uh, renditions and shit like that. Uh, Amy Bass suggests that the public scrutiny of Abdul Rauf's interpretation of Islamic law filled this void and, even better, did a dive into the kind of language they were using and found that, like, eclipsed the language, like, it overlapped with the language of, like, terrorism, which is crazy, you know what I mean? And this also happened at the same time. Like, people were on- had begun honoring, like, a Parkinson's-ridden Muhammad Ali for his 1960s political dissent, mm-hmm. right? So you've immediately got this dissonance. Time is a fucking flat circle. Nothing ever changes. But people were honoring Muhammad Ali while talking about Abdul Rauf's, like, uh, insanity of, like, not standing for the anthem in the same, like, fucking breath, right? In the same columns. I guess there's this just, like, amount of time that passes that lets people who don't agree with these kinds of political views to sort of give them some kind of respect for them being said at a time with hindsight when they weren't quite the mainstream. It's like this weird, like acknowledgement of the status quo while you're fucking like upkeeping the new status quo. And you're it, it like, they're giving it legitimacy basically after the fact there's like a certain waiting period. There's like, um, 
a statute of limitations on like black protest that before it becomes legitimate. You see it with Kaepernick now. You obviously see it with Mah- Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf now, and you see it with Muhammad Ali, or even um, the dudes at the uh, at the Olympics who raised the black power fist, right? Whose name I completely can't remember right now because I'm a yeah, the, fucking the 19, asshole. The 1968 Olympics, by the way. Yes, yeah. We remember the year, but not the names. Yeah. <laughs> of the 126 stories about Abdul-Rauf's descent published in mainstream press, only 5.5% actually critiqued the inclusion of the anthem at games. So, like, the overwhelming amount of stories were like this guy's a piece of shit and of that five and a half percent only an even smaller minority characterized uh characterized critics of abdul Rauf as bigots and the dude was also a hero to people with tourette syndrome so there was even a tourette's lobby calling him unpatriotic which i think is very funny because could could you imagine like to racists with tourette's does that does that like make it worse? Does it double <laughs> up in some way? Like it's like it, you're kind of ba- you're kind of clogging the 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 mouth. With yeah, two you're, slurs. you're you end up being called the n word twice. Yeah, it's it, it's um, that, it's so ironic too with the fact that um t- uh, uh Tourette sort of helped Mahmoud Abdoro throughout his career with uh um what what did he say that like um just the ticks and like having this obsession helped him train harder in in general and he would just like shoot until he fucking uh scored no matter what throughout his uh throughout his uh his uh shooting uh, uh drills so he yeah, also had just... like a relationship to Tourette's where it would pretty much disappear when he was playing which i have a friend who's a composer and a singer who has Tourette's but it goes away when he's singing and it's like it's something that happens when like repetitive tasks and like you know different parts of your brain working basically right so uh 45 percent of mainstream characterizations of him were explicitly negative uh that framed him as militant deserter misguided uh or a misguided kid despite the fact that he was 27 at the time the denver oh, the post in- oh the, infant- the infantilization is just funny to me I, lo- I love it when people fucking just uh turn you into move you to make you turn into a childlike state so they can fucking uh, basically uh, throw microaggressions at you. Yeah, pretty much. And like the Denver Post, you know, his hometown paper uh, for the team was probably the most savage. They called him a quitter 12 times in one column and told it said that his uh, sore foot and injuries were not real. Woody Page, by the way, that's the writer who went after him in the Denver Post. Uh, I hope you're dead. <laughs> this like basically happened at a time where the league didn't know if it was what like white or black, and David Stern at this point picked white, which was again a mistake. Like uh, Alan Malamud at the Los Angeles Times said that it's difficult to sympathize with Ralph when he's making 2.6 million dollars a year and being treated as a hero in a country whose flag he says is a symbol of oppression and tyranny. Of course, that echoes the fucking Kaepernick thing where you saw that meme being like Kaepernick lives in this house and hates America or yeah I mean it's and it's like the the when when LeBron James had his uh, uh had the n-word uh uh written into his fucking lawn there was a lot of uh hand-wringing from uh conservatives about this just being the result of LeBron uh not shutting up and dribbling and just kind of somehow the context collapses for right wingers when they discuss these uh these sports political uh uh stories no matter what they're fucking talking about or what era they're speaking about it yeah it's absolutely batshit it's like the the part that keeps fucking me up Aiden, is the fact this isn't going away like i mean like it feels like reading this if you just swapped out fucking ralph with kaepernick you would be reading the same fucking article right like i mean alone the fact that mahmoud and colin had to speak with each other with like a 20 year difference between their decisions is exemplifies that alone right the fact that we have all this hindsight they can educate each other about basically exactly what's probably going to happen when you speak out against this kind of thing as an athlete and then it still happens 20 years later and like here's some of the stuff that people said about him mark kisla his protest against the national anthem sent one clear message to nuggets denver fans in the nba abdul Rauf is more trouble than than he's worth uh and said the stars and stripes are forever uh mahmoud abdul rauf is done in denver surely the nuggets can get something for abdul rauf and argued his weak character and fragile psyche and he'd proper handling elsewhere <laughs> um proper handling is is by the way uh journalism code for lynching uh pike's peak wrote uh nuggets will be able to get something of value for the little fellow when they shop him around the nba <laughs> 
I mean, it's also it, it, weren't all of these guys probably writing glowing pieces about him as he was like lighting up the court right before this. The, oh, hundred percent. The, the code switch is it's almost impressive to me, actually. And Woody Page again, our favorite Woody Page said, "Abdul Ruff must never be permitted to play in Denver again." Woody Page, Woody Page definitely has a prospector uh, ancestor, by the way. Oh, hundred percent. If he grew up in Denver. And then there's the thing that basically you can't win because once he compromised and said he would stand for the anthem, people started writing stuff like, why press the point when your self-described loyalty could cost you your paycheck? Abdul Rauf rethought his religious philosophies and decided a silent prayer is worth more than $30,000 a night after all. If he remained riveted to his principle, this is Gil Spencer, he wouldn't be playing basketball at $31,000 a game for a long time, so he's back to playing basketball and then, like, a letter to the editor in the L.A. Times said, it's abundantly clear that money supersedes his declared faith, and uh, it would cost him, you know, $32,000 to rationalize an accommodation, right? So it's like, you're fucking damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? At that point, people are going to fucking gut you no matter what. He's also, uh, again, everybody remember that fucking uh, NBA sal- salaries have ballooned since then. So Mahmoud's like livelihood was at stake here, not just like if he was going to resurface his pool like next summer. And also if he had to go to court for any of this, right? Like there's this was also the era of like um, of like many, many, many challenges to flag burning and shit like that, which you could make a compelling argument that there was a legal case for someone to sue for something like this and it also implied like a hatred of america that he never actually professed like he never said this you know what i mean like he never said i hate america he's like america is good it's also very bad yeah well he 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 commented also mostly on its uh on its um a socio-political moves on a global stage like there's no uh there's no quote of him uh saying that somehow the money he makes as an athlete is unfair or that like he doesn't inval- value those sweet sweet american bucks that everybody seems to be so obsessed that he isn't fucking like showering in and like saluting the fucking american flag at the same time <laughs> me too <laughs> and here's the more most interesting thing about american capitalism right in this way like basically the kaepernick thing and the ralph thing is less about is less about patriotism and more about NBA and the NFL trying to preserve value by not alienating its fans, right? It's it's capitalism not wanting to cede control to black people, right? Mm-hmm. And like even now with the NBA bubble, what you've seen is is protests commodified more than anything. And it's like the players are doing the best they can, but like these narratives are spun sure, they're spun by like a shitty radio host, but they're perpetuated by a media culture that wants to make this into a big controversy because it doesn't want to it doesn't want capitalist hegemony to lose control to to like a black capitalist hegemony, right? Or just black people in general. Mm. And there were a lot of letters uh, that were sent to the New York Times that made it, like re- religious and individual freedom their main point. You know, the reason one reader said the reason why I stand up during the playing of the anthem is so that others have the right to sit down. Many wrote that, like, uh, many like personal letters, not media letters, wrote that uh, the NBA's actions are a blatant example of discrimination on the basis of religious freedom and you know uh many people said that you know uh patriotism is a matter of personal choice that can't be legislated which is absolutely fucking true uh despite the fact that students have to say the pledge of allegiance and inexplicably a pledge of allegiance to israel in many american schools and uh one person kind of hit the nail on the head where they said regardless of individual freedom of expression if some standards of respect are not adhered to all uh, sort of accepted rules of conduct will fall by the wayside. Where the fuck? Where the fuck are all these people in Denver? By the way, this is nationally. By the way, <laughs> right there you go. Not just Denver. Um, this a lot of these were letters to the L.A. or New York Times. A couple mm-hmm. of these, I don't think the Denver Post actually published any uh, opposition, even like token oppositional viewpoints. Again, Denver sucks. Uh, Sundance is good though. Yeah, and then, like, the ACLU and the Players Union both sided with him, but that really doesn't matter. Um, And the New York Times wrote that if he had pressed this with a lawsuit, it would have put the NBA on extremely shaky legal ground, and the law would be on his side if he decides to press it in court. Now, I will quote one awesome columnist, Harvey Araton, who might be one of the only good sports columnists. He called the inclusion of the national anthem at sporting events an absolutely idiotic tradition and said, you want to renounce what Abdul Rauf is saying? Go right ahead. Boycott his games. You don't have to go any more than he has to stand up. (laughs) 
savage uh, like actually you love to see it so like yeah and like 9-11 ultimately exposed something that this was sort of scratching at that this was sort of leading to which was just like america sucks and is like a super racist country but like this was this was like a trickle and and 9-11 sort of opened up the floodgates right and the two are linked in terms of like how similarly they stoked homophobia obviously at very different scales but yeah, like, uh, you know, Al Brown in the Los Angeles Sentinel, a black paper, wrote, and this is one of my favorite things, uh, Abdul Rauf's stance regarding the national anthem has placed America on an autopsy table and brought the term patriotism before the nation for evaluation. And he says that, you know, Rauf's position is well within his constitutional right, the one that talks about the freedom of religion, and is similar to another common kind of freedom of expression called flag burning, which has stood up to many legal challenges. So yeah, like... Like, there were people writing good things, but it really is, like, such a good indicator of, like, this minor controversy ended up being, like, a very clean harbinger for, like, what post-9-11 America would be like, right? Uh, from 9-11 all the way to fucking Kaepernick. I'm, uh, sorry, I'm trying to see if uh, Bill Simmons has any, uh, said a, a racist thing about Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf ever, so I, I, I didn't Please tell me yes. I did get to check there. So far, nothing. I, I was just, I needed to see if uh, if old Billy back in the late 90s, early 2000s had something to say. It's funny because like the Book of Basketball is actually a really good primer to basketball if you're like just getting into it. Like I did read it when it came out and I still have a copy on my bookshelf because he does. It is just a very good intro to like sports writing. But like the further down you go into that book and the further you go into Bill Simmons, the more you realize he is he is literally one n-word away from being the ultimate celtics fan everything that means yeah i mean uh yeah we maybe need to do an episode on bill simmons and just yes, sort of his like yeah his like his pre-hbo pre-espn history which not a lot of people uh know about he used to freely write on blogs about uh interesting topics yeah such as the size of women's tits um yeah. and uh black players being respectable uh, among them yeah, just uh, Celtics, Celtics fans shit. Yeah, I, what he called he called Luka Doncic, Doncic a classy player, unlike, and then he named some black player, which I think is like the ultimate Bill Simmonsism. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, they're classy. There's a reason he he Larry Bird is his favorite player of all time. I'll just put it and that I, way, right? I I mean, and he's actually an example of some of these sort of like Gen X boomery um, sports uh, uh, sports uh, personalities that we still have nowadays that were influenced by the '90s sort of. Uh, way of covering sports and this weird parasitic like sensationalized uh radio talk radio that was really popular in the 90s yeah and like this coming out at the same time as the mcveigh thing basically broke open this i like broke open i think for a lot of people the contradictions of like black descent uh especially in the 90s right which where which was supposed to be a post-racial post uh post-war era right obviously it wasn't but it like broke open this contradiction of like america has moved past this to like obviously it's not and obviously like we can't square our own contradictions around timothy mcveigh so we'll go after this guy for not being american enough um and it yeah it is like i can't get over a how closely related to kaepernick this is but also just like it it is all the shit you heard after 9-11 like it really is like people forgot about this for years and years even all through the early thousands they forgot about it the only time this came back is when Kaepernick happened because people were like wait this happened before didn't it right yeah um and, and, we and weirdly enough Kaepernick and Mahmoud are being reminded to us again with uh the Black Lives Matter movement and the NBA bubble having to uh take on social change and like now's a good time to get into ralph as kind of a person um we both read this article i just cut some like choice clips of it right um because i think like he is an extremely tragic figure and and these days he plays in the big three he coaches basketball he uh helps like islamic foundation he's very active in inner cities like he's quietly kept himself but he hasn't like dropped any of the stuff any of the activism that you know got him kicked out of the league in the first place um He's also still a hell of a basketball player, obviously not NBA caliber, but like... And still sexy, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah, and still, uh, like, you were right, Silver Fox is fuck. Um, but yeah, I, I'm. this is going to be in the show notes. It is alongside uh, the Summertime Spurs and a couple other pieces, maybe one of the greatest pieces of sports writing ever uh, by Robert Sanchez. It's called The Conversion of Chris Jackson. So 
one thing that's worth noting about Muhammad Abdul Rauf is that he's kept every letter he's gotten over the years, and that includes hate mail. Uh, he only throws out the death threats, um, which is I, speaks to something I don't even know, but it does speak to something in his psyche where he said, you know, letters like, Mr. Abdul Rauf, I'm glad you finally decided to stand for the national anthem because you have a lot of young children looking up to you, wanting to be like you. You would have probably ruined their future because they would have grown up and disrespected our country like you did. You should have respected our flag and what it stands for. You need to go to another country that does not have the freedom that we do. Mahmoud. You love that one, right? Because it's like you that person's like, I'm, I'm about to psych him out. I'm about to psych him out. And you can keep reading. Oh, shit. I gotcha. You know what I mean, like these are yes. all like proto boomer posting. <laughs> just an impressive yeah boomer bait and switch i mean he's he's so cool he's just doing a shout out to all my haters basically at the beginning of this article it's awesome um there's another one where he's like uh he got a letter that says mahmoud fuck you um another one saying dear mr abdul rauf go back to africa i love that one because the dear mr abdul rauf is it is it is what you see in facebook comments now this weird like politeness and like and like chivalry isn't dead even when i'm fucking trying to troll you on a social media platform he does he does retweet anytime someone tags him saying ralph would have been a goat he does retweet that which i think is great because like you know in in, the one thing about this article is it doesn't present like his idea of like nostalgia or like what could have been but like Mm. obviously this dude knew how good he was he saw the effect that his like not just his like politics but his like playing as being a player who just chucked fucking insane amount of threes and made a lot of them had on the league right he knows what he could have been like he's obviously like a very confident and self-assured person like very true to his conviction so like you know you you also have to take into effect into account like the psychological effect of this right it must be brutal so yeah you learned that there was a video of him dropping 51 points on stockton and pedophile uh together like on youtube and he went to go watch it because he's like ah shit someone posted this and he saw a comment that said Fuck that Bin Laden faggot, um, <laughs> which is absolutely the you know what what you expect a YouTube comment to be. Yeah, and, yeah, just cla- just classiness from YouTube once again, keeping it classy on the YouTube comments. Which why did you look at them, Mahmoud? <laughs> I would have told you not to. But he kept every letter. Do you think he saves every comment, prints it out, yeah, adds it to the right. box? Yeah, yeah, puts it on his puts it on his fridge with a magnet. I love it. Um, and you know, to the interviewer, to Chris. Uh, to Chris Sanchez or Robert Sanchez, sorry, he said, "That's how they want to remember me." He says, "That's apparently my legacy." I should that should be his Twitter username, by the way. I just wanted to add that. <laughs> that would be it'd be, awesome. it'd be such king shit. Yeah, I love, and he says that like people when they come up to him say they can't pronounce his name, so they just call him Chris, which is no longer his name. Mm. And he, I love this because. They, they're like i can't say it i can't pronounce it i mean it's mahmoud if you can say i like food you can say mahmoud <laughs> they know it they can say it they just don't want Aww. to that's a really that's a really sweet way to respond to somebody dead naming you actually mm-hmm. and then he like he you know they drive by they drive around his old neighborhood and they drive by the house he bought for his mom before she passed away right and the the guy Robert Sanchez asks him if like the NBA that allowed him to do that, like live comfortably has to count for something. And it's like the definition of the American dream. And he says, no, it's not. He says like, I know in other countries you got issues, but just because I made it, don't think that was because of America's kind heartedness that I did it. I struggled every day of my life and right across the train tracks, I got all that money. How is that the American dream? And they pounds the car dashboard with his fist. He also subscribes to the international socialist review. <laughs> I discovered again king shit. Yeah, we're just we're basically this is a now a Mahmoud Abdul Raoul fucking like like pro podcast, and we're just gonna open every uh, episode about how much we like him. Man, I hope he reads my shit in Jacobin. This is the most I, I will say this is the most positive episode we've done on on anybody in a sense. But like you know, it's it's still that like very typical thing of like, and you see this a lot actually in Muslim communities where like things are just so dire that you just need to blame anything other than the country that like your parents sacrificed everything to go to or that you sacrificed Mm. everything to go to. Right. So of course, like you go straight to the Jews because that's like a historic scapegoat, you know, for the world, for a lot of its problems. But like, you know, Abdul Rauf, like, you know, was a political pioneer in like ways that you would never, never ever expect. And that like, you never ever hear about, right? Like the erasure of him from history, especially in the context of political protest 
is also quite unique because we remember people from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, but 90s and sports politics are a dead zone, right? Like, we don't hear about Mm -hmm. anything political in 90s sports aside from, like, you know, PED scandals and shit like that, right? Like, we never hear about statements like Mahmoud abdul Rauf's ever. Um, There's a reason for that. It's because we don't want to be reminded that the most quote-unquote perfect era of fucking neoliberalism had racial issues that needed to be resolved, right? Even... Well, people and also people will associate that rise of neoliberalism and like the Clinton era government as this like uh, this financial fucking renaissance for things like sports and American exports. Right. Like we can't lose that 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 manifest destiny that America achieved in the 90s by discussing this. Yeah. And even like shit like Rodney King, you know what I mean? Like Mm. even shit like Rodney King is so like, oh, this was the early 90s. We moved past it. Right. The Rodney King was like the the crucible on which racism died. If you if you talk about like, you know, Fukuyama era, like end of history shit. Right. It's like the L.A. riots happened. And then after that, that was like the the energy release that solved racism for America. Right. Yeah. It's like Obama getting elected and 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 uh, and and getting rid of racism with a single election. Man, you you saw the clip of him shooting that three, right? He should have just bawled instead of fucking dropping drones on Yemeni weddings <laughs> like shit like the the man could have could have had it all without having to kill people. But no, his fucking CIA family and shit just made sure that that's what he was yeah fucking hooked up to do this is now a conspiracy podcast if, if, if people haven't seen the video he casually drains a fucking three in a suit uh while following uh uh sleepy joe so that that alone is uh is is a fucking uh, feat in itself uh it's the only good positive thing we'll say about obama have on this you, show. but have you played oh, a lot of basketball uh no i uh i tried i i still like to do it sometimes with a few of my friends even though i suck um, I did not make the high school team. In did basketball. you ever? Did you ever sink a three? Uh maybe once. So I might be fucking like revising history though to make myself feel better. Right now. Yeah, I I never did, and I probably never will. And it's like you know, for someone to just casually drain a three like that is like you know, you know they had some aptitude for it. Mm-hmm. Obama, you should have. You would have been like a fucking awesome shooting guard man like i mean like you you didn't have to do this you know you could have been like yeah lebron style political figure rather than this uh there is like one last piece to this article i'm gonna leave you off on because as he mentioned this is like our most positive episode um Mm -hmm. and it's where someone opens up a letter uh where robert sanchez opens up a letter and uh he's like bracing abdul ralph is bracing for it to be another fuck you letter And I'll just read verbatim from the article. The letter is from a 12-year-old boy living with Tourette's syndrome. Abdul Rauf is something of an inspiration. The letter goes, Someone was making fun of people with Tourette's the other day, and I punched him. I said, that's for Mahmoud. Abdul Rauf lets out a yelp of joy and says, You get him, boy. That's what I'm talking (laughs) about. Fuck yeah. Um, Yeah, so it's like, you know, honestly, incredible sports figure, someone everyone should like bring up when people talk about sports politics, but also like more than anything, a great figure of, of uh, sort of how fucked up the nineties were, I think more than anything in terms of their like just complete overturn to like hegemony and patriotism. Right. Yeah. And how fucking Democrats, like this whole idea that like Democrats were just as milquetoast and racist and democratic America still was a patchwork of like progressive people and fucking racist ass people even back in the fucking the time that friends and seinfeld was on tv yeah you know? like colorado you know was a swing state but denver never went anything other than blue denver never yeah. went red it, it, it had been democratic since the like late 1800s basically since the republican like so back when the republican party was like the democratic party that's the last time they voted fucking republic the mayor of denver during the uh mahmoud abdul ralph controversy was a black dude named wellington webb who as far as i can see in my very small amount of research about this did not do anything to like push or uh stall or help uh abdul ralph's stance he did push the radio hosts who broke into the mosque and made them apologize so i guess like good for him but yeah like he was he was the mayor of denver for a very long time 91 to 2003 and was also by the way succeeded by who else but our favorite democratic fracking cult fucking weirdo john hickenlooper 
Oh yeah, I forgot. I forgot, and I think they actually had done a bunch of shit together as they were transitioning to like soften the blow, like some homeless like like advocacy or some shit. I wonder where that was. Oh, a hundred percent. And yeah, like it, it sucks. Uh, the NBA is completely hypocritical, and they have not ever issued a formal apology. Neither the Nuggets organization, a team I actually really fucking love too, the Denver Nuggets. Neither the organization nor the league nor the Grizzlies, or I guess, yeah, the Memphis Grizzlies now, nor the Kings have apologized at all for what they did to who could have been one of the greatest players of all time. You know that if they ever have a player meeting about that right now at the Denver Nuggets, fucking Michael Porter Jr. is uh, is saying that they should not honor Mahmoud Abdul. Mega Porter Jr. Yeah, it sucks because, yeah. like, I, I genuinely think that, like, Jokic Murray, uh, the two players, one of which is a hometown boy, by the way, uh, Jamal Murray, Canadian, um, and Nikola Jokic could be the new significantly less problematic Stockton and Malone. Like they, they are a pair and they go so well together. I mean, Yo- Jokic is actually not like like completely free from controversy, and same with Jamal Murray in ways. But they have like cute, cute problematic like. Wait, notions, what are their right? what's their uh, controversy? Well, Jamal Murray showed his, uh, it's not a controversy, but he did show his balls on Instagram live during quarantine That's so to everybody. That's so funny. And, 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 and Nikola Jokic has uh, been twice quoted to say no homo during, uh, <laughs> during, uh, during interviews and has actually recently alluded to it. Like, he's like, I'm not going to say it to uh, a scrum. Um, so, yeah, they really are the cute. Not problematic, but still, like you know, they, they could be John Stockton and uh, and uh, Garbalone. They're like, you know, what's funny though is like that what they did, which you know, in all honesty, Nikola Jokic grew up in a very homophobic country. Like he's he'll he'll learn. You know, I mean, Jamal Murray showing his balls. That's fucking mm-hmm. hilarious, by the way. Yeah, Canadian stuff. Yeah, but like, is somehow has somehow gotten because now that you're saying it, I remember this has somehow gotten more attention than Carl Malone raping a 13-year-old. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah, fucked exactly. up. Yeah, and I mean, to further exemplify this, like, weird, like, revisionist history, like, like and the way things have changed, it's that even Adam Silver, Silver, with the NBA bubble starting and with, like, social action growing in America, had to acknowledge the fact that they had still not changed the rule book and standing up for the, not standing up for the, national anthem is still against the rules in the nba and they had to slide that rule away just for this season so from what we just for this uh nba bubble season where obviously basically every game for the national anthem the team uh uh took a knee except for uh michael porter jr and jonathan mega mega porter jr and, baby and, and jonathan isaac too we can't forget him from the oh from yeah the magic um, oh no that's okay because well i saw this great tweet from andrew neville um, before we end the episode, where it was like, uh, Jonathan Isaac wouldn't take a knee, so God took it from him. <laughs> oh, no. Because <laughs> he blew I, his knee out that game. Uh, you know what? I usually I send my hopes and prayers, but also fuck him, and uh, and the Raptors will get a better uh, playoff position um, with us sliding down. So just that irony alone is like, it, it's weird how we talked about Jamal Murray's balls and somehow equated it to, to the NBA's hypocrisy of... Uh, of uh making the standing for that not standing for the national anthem illegal and uh and adam silver also said he doesn't expect the protests to continue but we can only hope that they will uh we'll be back at you next week with uh another episode on something by the way <laughs> just just to add, just a quick thing on uh, mahmoud abdul raouf's uh you know mild anti-semitism i google searched it that i put it his name beside holocaust denial and nothing came up so it's all Hell good. yeah Mah- brother it's, it's all good Mahmoud. yeah we love you and please uh come on the show yeah all the best everyone have a great week 